how I got my name. So when I was born, my mom said, Ay, que preciosa. I want to name her Selena. But then my dad said, I want to name her after your mom, Teresa. And mom nodded, kind of, and said, well, we'll name her Selena Teresa. And we can call her Tere around the house. So grandma will know just how much we love her. And they did. And everything was good with my name except for one thing. My dad's last name is Guerrero. And my mom's is Amaya. And the nurse, she got all confused when she saw all those names. Selena Teresa Guerrero Amaya. I don't think it's for too many names, but I guess the nurse did. So when she wrote down Guerrero, she wrote it with an A instead of an O at the end. And she dropped the Amaya completely. No one noticed right away because they were too busy ooing and eyeing over me. Then the birth certificate came in the mail and they noticed it. And dad just laughed and said, Pues, Guerrera means a woman warrior. I bet she'll be brave and strong and fight for justicia. And then he said, Maybe we could get it fixed later. Maybe. And mom repeated, maybe. Then the very next month, they deported my dad back to Mexico for not having the right papers. Funny how papers can be so right and so wrong and can even mean more than people in some folks' eyes. This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. Thank you for tuning in. This is Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante. And before I break down all the platforms that we're broadcasting on, I want to say hi to the literary legend who's joining us tonight. And we'll talk about her new book. We're happy to debut it here on the air. She's their friend, Carmen Tafoya. Carmen, un grande abrazo. Thank you for joining us. Gracias. Es un honor estar con ustedes. And we're so happy to celebrate your brand new book, Warrior Girl. We're going to hear some readings from it. We're going to talk about the inspiration. And we're going to tell folks how they can get curriculum guides to make sure that their school can not only enjoy the book, but provide it in a pedagogy, a style that really will enforce so many of the uh, important essential skills for school. And, of course, we're starting here at the Nuestra Palabra multi-platform broadcast, which means that perhaps you're watching this first on social media, including the live stream on the Nuestra Palabra 
Facebook page, or perhaps you're watching some of the other versions of the show, we'll take the audio and perhaps you'll see it on sites such as fox26houston.com. We also edit the audio for our original platform. And of course, that is KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston's community station. The reason we can do that for so many years, the reason we can broadcast a show across the fourth artist in America at 100,000 watts is because it is listener-sponsored. And I want you to think about how many FM stations right now are broadcasting one of the leading intellectuals some from our community and helping you build your underground library, your family library, or your public library. That's only going to happen on this station. So if you can, we hope that you will make a donation in the name of Nuestra Palabra to 90.1 FM KPFT. And you can do that by going to kpft.org, or you can call 713-526-5738. I'll remind you throughout the show. And again, we just want to make sure that the folks who support us help us do our part to keep this great experiment and freedom of speech going for another 50 plus years. But we also evolve with the time. So an audio version of this will also become a podcast. And of course, we always love coming to you live and in person. So we're going to talk about Carmen's uh, different events to launch your book. We also want to mention that course, we are partnering with the Latino bookstore at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center in San Antonio, where Carmen is the madrina. And of course, her books are there in stock. And of course, she's going to form part of the, the reading series. And on September 14th of 2023, she'll be making uh, an important event there, especially for students. And if you watch this after the live broadcast, we hope that you will spread it to schools, to community centers, and to friends. And don't feel bad because you missed it live. Be excited that you can get more information. And uh, Carmen, let's say a little bit about this book. And then you've been kind enough to agree to kick off this discussion with readings from some of the poems. Now, some folks will say, hey, here's your new novel. And are they chapters or are they uh, different prose parts? This is a very fascinating approach. Tell folks a little about the setup for Warrior Girl. Yeah, Warrior Girl is a novel in verse. And a novel in verse means that it's a novel. It starts at the beginning. It has all the action. It builds with the same character, same situation, and has an ending. But instead of turning every chapter, going chapter to chapter to find out how the action advances, you go from one point to the next. So it's told in poems. Each poem is its own little mini chapter. And in this instance, it's um, on the front cover. And I think um, you've got a copy of it there, but we've got one right here. Uh, Charlotte Gomez did this beautiful illustration of a young girl jumping up for joy. But if you look real close at her mochila, her bag where she's carrying a little purple spiral notebook in it, you're going to see what she has scribbled on the front of it. She has scribbled diary of a guerrera. Eso. And so this is her diary. This is her writing. So at the beginning, it's, she's about to start seventh grade. She's 12 years old. 
she starts to tell you a little bit about her history and what's happened to her and how she got her name and how she got where she got. And then you see her again. So she'll use a six-year-old voice at certain points to tell what happened when she was six. But most of it's told from being 12. And as the year progresses, you see as she becomes more sophisticated, more mature, more defined on what she wants and what has happened to her. And she realizes in this book that she has been silenced. Mm. She realizes it from the beginning and that she wants her voice back. So this is our little Guerrera reclaiming what is hers, reclaiming her voice. And in a way, she symbolizes toda la chicanada. Mm-hmm. All of our history as Mexican-Americans who've had our voice erased. Reading from her latest book, Warrior Girl, Poet Laureate, La Mera Mera of Literatura, a dear friend and an ally and someone that's been helping the community for a long time. We're happy to welcome to the airways and give her the mic to read an excerpt from her new book. Please welcome Carmen Tafoya. So she tells the story of how her dad does come back. And he comes back right away because he's not going to leave the mom alone to take care of this beautiful baby girl. And they move around a lot following his job, but their favorite place to live early on. And then much later when she turns 12 is with grandma and she breaks about grandma. And this is a little point that kind of capsulizes what the whole book is about and what that is struggle and purpose is she believes. My grandma Tere taught me. One of the things my grandma Tere taught me was how to make a fiesta out of every day. Every day she would whisper, today is a celebration. Es la fiesta de San Fulano de Tal. And she would tell me the name of the saint for that day or the celebration for that day or the reason we should be happy that day. Es el día del mariachi. So we'd listen to mariachi music. Es el día del chef. So we cook exotic things, all delicious. Es el día de la risa. So we'd spend the day joking and laughing. Now I know why Tere is just as strong a name as Guerrera. Because when you're celebrating, when you find a reason to be happy, a reason to sing, or dance, or paint, or play, or laugh, or write, they haven't taken everything away from you. Those are two little pieces of of her approach, her philosophy to life, because she really does feel that they have taken so much from her. Her Spanish is looked down upon and they tell her, this is the U.S. bike English. And uh, her culture and her history are totally missing in action in all the history books, except for the chapter where they show the evil Mexicans Mm -hmm. crawling over the walls of the Alamo and stabbing with bayonets the brave Texans, all white. Mm. And she looks it up in the computer and finds out there were brown Texans and black Texans, and they're not in the pictures in her history. 
So she's a little fighter to try and get back. She has, I guess the biggest thing they take away from her is right the night before she starts seventh grade, they moved back to San Antonio from all the little racist towns that they had been living in. And they're living with grandma and she's going to start a new school and she's very excited. She's going to have electives and she's going to study what she wants. And her father gets deported mm-hmm. the night before seventh grade starts. So she feels she has lost everything. And if you're just tuning in, we are talking to Carmen Tafoya. We're celebrating her new book, Warrior Girl. She just shared some excerpts from the chapters, which are actually poems. This is a novel in verse. And mm-hmm. stay tuned because she will close with, with another excerpt. And if you do want to get your hands on the book, it's available through different platforms online. And of course, at the Latino Bookstore in San Antonio at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. I do want to let people know that through a grant from the Office of Congressman Joaquin Castro, the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center is able to commission a teacher who is in the schools, is an expert at Mexican studies and pedagogy and has years of experience in the community, uh, Araceli Manriquez. She wrote the lesson plans and you can contact Nuestra Palabra or the Latino Bookstore to get those for free. They will be given away for free. And the idea then is to make sure that we can spread that. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in the show. But right here, I'd like to point out that one compelling poems, fantastic language, such concrete imagery that I think you, you create in such a way that exactly a medical student can get captured by that. But you're also touching on so many strong social issues. I love the way you're playing with, well, here is, here's a young Chicana understanding how powerful paper can be to write the poems pointing out the birth certificate, which means she is a U.S. citizen. And then her wisdom at pointing out the irony of what papeles can do or can't do. And then her father not having that birth certificate being torn from the family. You wanted those layers to shine through, right? And and at the same time be accessible. Is that fair? Yes, it's, it's, it's complicated. All these problems Mm -hmm. become complicated because our lives are complicated. And by the time kids are 10, 11, 12, they know how complicated our lives are. This takes place in 2019 to 2020 and her father gets deported and she's aware of the fact that there are financial struggles that mama now has to work two shifts instead of one. And, and so she's missing her dad. She's missing her mom as well. Thank God they're living with grandma because grandma is the one who, who begins to instruct her. And there's all kinds of fun historical facts that are shared in there. So it's a book about history. It's a book about culture. It's a book about language, but it's also a book about survival. How do you survive stress? And there is always tons of stress going on in young kids' lives, especially if they're dealing with issues of racism or uh, issues of uh, a lack of justice for immigrants. I visit many schools, including K through 12. You touched on just that whole issue of immigration justice, families being separated. That is prevalent in... Houston Independent School District, mm-hmm. which is majority Latino, um, 
in San Antonio. Uh, I want to remind folks tuning in that Texas has about 5.3 million public school students and at least 52% are Latino. I think it's very compelling because I know that if a student isn't dealing with it directly, it's someone that they know, someone at the school, and they keep hearing about a different perspective of it on the news, which is always sensationalizing, using basically generalizations, myths, or stereotypes to portray it. But here you're doing it in a very touching, in a very touching way. It it is a hot topic, but I think you did it in a really in a, in a really soft way. Uh, is that challenging to try and take, like you said, take something so complicated? Because I just it took me a long time to mention all the levels, but also try and convey it in a way that students can wrap their head around it quickly and dig dig into it later. Yes, my VIP audience, the most important people that have to get this book. I mean, if a book is written for a particular audience, that audience better get it. Other audiences may love it, but that's the audience that's mm -hmm. VIP. My VIP audience is 10 to 14 year olds. Mm -hmm. And 10 to 14 year olds are seeing things in their lives. They may not have been able to add it all up and find out what the bottom line is to what they're seeing, but they're already beginning to question. They're, they're seeing things that seem odd to them. And why is it this way? Okay, I guess it's just this way. But as they enter into those 12, 13, 14 year old level, they start to ask the questions. So this is what's happening to her. Uh, her mom has her papers. Her grandma has the papers. They're from an indigenous rooted family in San Antonio that's been there since before the Europeans arrived. So she learns about Eurocentrism from the, from the grandma's perspective. Uh, you know, Columbus didn't, the grandma says outright in the book, if you went into somebody who's still saying that Columbus discovered America, tell him that he was lost. America <laughs> discovered him, pobrecito, you know. And, and the grandma is very blunt about that. You know, when, uh, when he got here, my ancestors were looking at him saying, pues, que tiene este tontito que está en India? You know, the grandma's very upfront. But when her mom and dad got married and the dad was a Mexican national, of course, everybody's going to say, oh, yes, of course, he can get his papers because he's married here. What they don't realize is that every step in that naturalization process requires money. And she talks about it. She says, oh, he was working on getting the papers, but there was always something that needed to be paid first, like my shots. His beautiful baby girl needed shots. So he was going to do the shots. He was going to buy the diapers. He was going to fix the engine on the car. He was going to help my mom pay for her, her mm -hmm. schooling so she could be a nurse's aide. You know, all of these things that are day-to-day -day expenses, mm -hmm. you know, take priority. And it's not an easy system to work through, even for somebody who understands the language and the culture and grew up here, it is a difficult system to work through. Um, and so she talks about it from that perspective. You know, he has every right to be here. He's been married to an American citizen for 12 years at the time this book starts, 13 years. But, you know, he doesn't have his papers. He doesn't have something he can present. And um, that's when she begins to question, wait a minute. 
How come all these other people have their papers just because they have enough money to buy their citizenship? And she puts it in those terms, mm-hmm. which is a good question. Uh, the way a child would ask it. Well, if you're paying money and you're okay because you pay money and we don't have the money, we don't pay it. So we're not okay. Mm-hmm. How come he should be punished for not being rich enough to buy his U.S. citizenship? So she asks hard questions. And as she moves through the book, she discovers all kinds of things about different aspects of her culture. And again, grandma comes into this and she says, the Indians didn't disappear. They're still here. Their names are Sanchez and Garcia, Cantu and De Leon. (laughs) (laughs) We're still here. It's the same blood. And so she begins to learn a lot about Mexican-American history. And she learns about uh, Texas history as well. She learns about Texas history primarily because she's mad at what the textbooks keep saying and the way that's the only place they portray Mexicans or Mexican-Americans. And she starts looking it up on the computer. Mm -hmm. And on the computer is where she begins to find out that Stephen F. Austin said, oh, it has to be a slave state. That's the only way we can make any money. You know, <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, she is she's becoming aware of a lot of social justice situations. And she then gets the support of three friends at school. So the four of them are getting pretty tight. She's never lived one place long enough because they've always had to move because mm-hmm. dad was getting he didn't have the papers. So we could only get the jobs that didn't last long or didn't pay much or didn't, you know, uh, mm-hmm. disappear from one day to the next. Um, and so as when they come back to San Antonio and she's in a school with some supportive teachers and with these three, she begins to make good friends and these three good friends hang with her and they start to talk about all kinds of injustices and it opens them up to an acceptance of different kinds of experiences in the world, different human beings in the world, um, She's very, uh, you know, upset. Some of the kids are saying, you don't have a dad, you know. And uh, her friend Gata says, oh, she says, well, I grew up with my, you know, my my, my uh, grandma's sister adopted me when I was little. So I don't have a dad or a mom. Mm-hmm. And when people say, you don't have a dad, I say, you don't have a grandma's sister. And so God begins to come out and assert herself. Um, They're learning to defend themselves and they're Mm. learning to survive in a tough, tough world. And the grandma's the one who gives her the very, very specific instructions about building a shield and not letting things inside that shield that you don't want. Dirty looks, nope, they bounce off. Uh, (sighs) Dirty names that people call you, they bounce off. Warm smiles, yeah, they come in, come on in. You know, she builds that shield so that she learns to protect herself when ugly things get said. How many adults don't even have that shield yet? Right. You know, they haven't learned, oh, so-and-so said something about me and they get all upset. You know, they can't even take general criticism sometimes, but she's having to learn to be strong and that she comes from generations of really strong, beautiful people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is her defining herself her coming of age and, and, and defending and learning strategies, not only to deal with stress, but how to change the world, mm. you know, one little corner at a time, 
how to make, if other people don't understand, instead of going home and saying, oh, my friend made me really mad because she said Dia de los Muertos was just Mexican Halloween. She made me so <laughs> mad. And grandma says, well, maybe she doesn't know. Did you explain it to her? So the next day she goes back and tries to explain to the friend what Dia de los Muertos is. And finally she gets fed up and she just says, look, just come to my house next week and, and we'll have an altar. And the little girl, the little Anglo-American girl that comes, ends up bringing a picture of her mm. grandpa, John, who died last year in the family, hardly talks about him anymore because they all get teary-eyed when they talk about him, so they don't talk about him. And so she brings his picture and 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 little Teresa, Selena Teresa Guerrera Maya ends up with Grandpa John McIntosh's picture on her <laughs> because they're sharing, because they're learning. If you want to change things, you explain to people. And mm. if they don't listen, there may be other routes that we have to take. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a gutsy book about a gutsy kids, because we do have some very strong, brave young people this very minute that are trying to change the world in many different ways and make it a better world to live in. And I, I wouldn't, um, I couldn't think of a finer world to live in than one in which people care enough to, to make it better. And I think you bring that poet's touch to this too, because again, we on this show, because it's geared towards adults, and of course, anyone any age can listen to it. We do like digging into all these layers because we're familiar with it. But I think just even two examples that our listeners have heard now, even at the beginning of the of the book, where the mistake, which is happens all the time, where someone that doesn't speak Spanish uh, mm -hmm. alters the name, changes it. But in this case, the family poetically runs with it because, it, you know, Guerrero turned into Guerrera is warrior girl and yeah. becomes something very different. Right. So that's, the, the lesson for middle school students is pretty profound. And then you, even that last act that you mentioned where sometimes it's hard to logically explain a cultural tradition, well, let folks participate. And here comes right. this Anglo young lady who's mourning bringing in that picture and that that's those are two beautiful acts so so i encourage mm -hmm. folks to to pick up the book and, and want to remind them that there it's very straightforward in a beautiful profound way but if they want to dig in more they can so let's give them a little more tools to dig in uh, of course uh araceli manriquez has mm -hmm. written the curriculum guide and that will be available for middle school teachers to use and it goes along mm -hmm. with the book but let me ask you this about the setting so clearly it was not a coincidence that this is, and of course it's a leading question and yeah, uh, clearly it's not a coincidence that this book is set in San Antonio. Tell us more about that. Yeah. Uh, I grew up on the West side barrio and they always say, write about what you know. And I've been uh, for years doing a performance, a dramatic, you know, one woman show on stage um, throughout the U S throughout Latino America and Europe and New Zealand um, about, about voices from my barrio. You know, I love my culture. I love the people that have come from 
from these roots that have not been praised for their lives. They have, they're not big, important people whose names are known or whatever, but I think they're famous. You know, Tia Sofia, uh, La Viejita de la Esquina, the, you know, the, the <laughs> kid who was going to drop out of high school because she'd never seen her name in a book. And, and, you know, thought that it just couldn't be in a book. All of these characters I present to them, but the one character that everybody loves the most, I do elderly men, elderly women. I do high school kid. I do college kid. I do um, a professional presenting at a conference. But the character that always gets them the most is the first grader named Tere. And I have been performing Tere since 1990. Wow. On stage. While all the other characters that I present are adaptations, dramatizations of characters that show up in my books, in a poem or in a story, that it was written specifically for the stage. So I'm always getting read, uh, audience members and teachers asking me, what happens to Tere? Which book can I find Tere in? Mm. I keep telling them she's not in a book. She's on stage. Well, in 2019, the pandemic hit. April is always my biggest month. I was headed to four different states. One each week, I was headed to a different state, and I was going to make these presentations. And... April of 2020, everything shut down. Mm -hmm. So one at a time, I got messages, emails. We have canceled the conference. We have canceled the presentation. We have canceled the seminar. And so I said, well, good, I'll write, I guess. And I sat down to write some things that I had been working on for a while. And then out of this left field comes running in this little 12-year-old and she jumps onto my paper and it's pretty soon I'm writing about her and I'm pushing the other stuff aside and mm. I'm just following her. That's how warrior girl, warrior girl is that when she turns 12. And wow. so that's a different, uh, different angle. It's, it's what has happened to her. What does she give up? Does she get mm. crushed? Does she decide that no importa, that school doesn't matter because they change your name and they change your language and no matter what you do, you're wrong. She learned to be quiet. No, after a while, she says, I'm not going to be silenced. So that's the background for this. But it also, because it takes place from the 2019 to 2020 year, it means that her father, who was deported off to Mexico, the neighbors came and told them they saw some officers with guns taking him away for La Migra. And then they never hear from him. They don't get a phone call. They don't get a letter. They don't get anything. And it's exactly at the time when the cages were being built at the border wow. in mm -hmm. which to lock up people without papers. Mm -hmm. People who came back across seeking amnesty or seeking mm -hmm. entry or whatever. So the big worry in little Selena Teresa's mind is, is my dad alive? Is he well? Is he locked in a cage? And then when the pandemic hits, it's even worse because does he have a mask? Does he have hand sanitizer? Is he locked in a cage with a bunch of people and they're getting sick and nobody cares? You know, she's watching things on TV. She's seen the TV news and she's been upset and Black Lives Matter uh, 
marches are happening at this time as well. And at one point, she tells the mom, after George Floyd gets killed, she tells the mom, I'm going. I'm going downtown, and I'm going to march with them. And the mom is like, no, don't go. No, 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 don't go. It's not safe. And she says, are you worried that it's not safe because of COVID? Are you you worried because of my color Mm. that I'm not safe? And the mother doesn't know what to answer to that. You know, probably both, but the mother's caught and grandma, who we learned a few things about in the book, um, pipes up and says, I'll go with her. And uh, so anyway, she has a lot happening in here. Mm-hmm. I won't spoil the ending or, or the exciting parts, but um, we have a very, uh, we have a grandma that she that, that it finds out um, after coming home upset from school at things that people were saying and things on the news and they're talking mm-hmm. about Mexicans and she's hearing all this stuff and she's crying to grandma. Grandma calms her down and blesses her, does a blessing ceremony on her. And then grandma lets out this long sigh after everybody's all better and everything. She says, I, I thought that we would have come much further along mm. in all this time. I mean, it's been 50 years since the Chicano movement. And then it looks at and says, you were in the Chicano movement? Mm. She says, yeah, yeah, you know, I was, there were just so many things wrong with the schools and they were paddling us for speaking Spanish. She's like, they paddled my grandma? Wow. And so she become grandma really becomes a source of Mexican-American mm. history to her. So that's, it, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting mm-hmm. scene in the book, but mainly the complications and the layers are there to help children know our true history, a full history, not a whitewashed history or a fictionalized history, but a history that talks about uh, tough stuff without building hatred. Mm-hmm. Hatred doesn't help anything. You know, demonizing people doesn't help anything. What helps is to change the way the stories are told. And so she's like a little writer in training or historian in training as she's going through and learning um, that, that, you know, there is bias in textbooks that you can question textbooks. And she has some wonderful teachers who... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, start to listen to her. I think she really has something to say. So she's learning to value her own inquiry, her own investigation and her research. You know? And a lot of kids don't get that. They don't get their their own thoughts honored. So this is hopefully models a little bit of how we can honor the thoughts and questions of young people. Folks who are just tuning in, we are talking to Carmen Tafoya, poet laureate, who is celebrating the launch of her brand new book, Warrior Girl. In a little bit, we're going to close the show with one more excerpt from the book, which is a novel in verse. 
but you mentioned that this is a book that tackles a lot of hard issues. Of course, um, back in 2012, when uh, right-wing Republican legislators in Arizona banned Mexican-American studies, uh, you know, the Tafik guys were happy to smuggle some of those books back, including your book. So your books were banned yeah. in Arizona <laughs> back then, um, which is very symbolic because, as you mentioned, here's this young woman who is seeing how her voice is being erased at at several levels. What what are your thoughts on your work that was banned at that time? And it sounds like some of it transfers to this. What are some common threads and, and what do you think is different for this era as well? Today's banning is much more insidious mm-hmm. than it was 11 years ago. It was not that banning is ever a good thing. We should be banning weapons of mass destruction rather than books. (laughs) A book is not going to kill you. It's going to open your mind and make you more analytical. But I think that in 2012, the fear was that we would study Mexican-American studies and that we would become empowered. And it was a very specific and targeted thing in the state of Arizona because the state of Arizona had a very effective Mexican-American studies program, K through 12. Had they not had, in fact, it was it was not the state, it was Tucson Unified School District, which has always been a strong defender of bilingual bicultural studies and still is. But had they not had this very effective program, which was getting results, mm-hmm. the whole push to ban Mexican-American studies would not, not have come. Had they been a flop, People wouldn't have cared that it probably left them gladly. But because they were successful and the kids were graduating from high school and entering college at record numbers, it was going to shake the status quo. Mm -hmm. And I do not think it was from ignorance. I think the people behind it knew there was a solid chance that the demographics would change and that their white kids would have to compete with brown and black kids which they've never had to do. They've always had enough advantages that we were kept out. The obstacles wore us down before we ever got to high school. So, you know, people would say, oh, well, I made it through school and I didn't have any problems. And I always use the example. I like to use solid visual examples with them. And I say, well, if you set up somebody with a machine gun in front of a school, and I said this before all the shootings were happening in schools, and somebody was at the front door of a school and they told them, okay, go on home, and the kids are going home, and somebody's shooting them as they go out the door, you're going to have two or three survive. We don't look at how many survived. We look at how many fell, how many were killed. Hmm. So the way the system is set up, a few of us sneak through. I snuck through. I made it through. But most of my classmates didn't, mm-hmm. or they were held back so much that by the time they applied to college, all the scholarships were gone, et cetera. They weren't mm-hmm. given the tools to prepare for it ahead of time. And some of them didn't even make it to the end of high school. It was very pointed at one school district for one situation. Today's world, we're seeing this nationally. Mm-hmm. They're trying to tell a history in Florida that paints 
the slave owners as these benevolent humanitarians who are teaching work skills, job skills to these slaves so they can make use of them later in life, like after they're dead, maybe 150 years later, their kids. You know, if you have slavery, you're not going to go off and get a job after you leave this job. You don't leave mm. this job. So um, it, it's a it's a very fake history that's being told. And in Texas, we have HB 900. Which let's, is, let's talk a little bit about that. Tell, tell folks what that oh is. Oh, my God. That's... I'm already feeling the effects. I am feeling the effects with this book. Mm. Um, I got a call from a very competent administrator that said, wait, 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 let's not advertise it quite yet because we are checking with our lawyers because of this new law. I'm sorry to have to ask you these questions, but does your book have any sexual content? And I said, I have she's and he's in there, but no, these are very young kids and they're just mm -hmm. they're busy with a whole bunch of stuff and financial problems and the pandemic and everything else. That, you know, no, this isn't one of the problems that they're dealing with right now. And she says, do you have any reference to LGBTQ in there? And I said, no, I have those letters and the different words, but that's it. I don't have it in here. That's a different book, you know, mm -hmm. different books tackle different topics. And this one doesn't happen to have those in here. Well, hold on still. We have to check with our lawyers. Why do they have to check with their lawyers? Because if they sell a book at a cultural center or any place that sells book, could be a museum gift shop. If they sell a book and they have to grade it, they have to give a rating to the state. That's the proposed HB 900. On sexual content, a rating, a rating now, on, on sexual, sexual content. Right now it's on sexual content. That doesn't fool us because we're second, we're next. We've been fighting this in mm -hmm. Texas for many years and going and testifying before the State Board of Education mm -hmm. every time a textbook comes through that erases us totally mm -hmm. out of there or tries to paint uh, repaint history as no white person ever did anything wrong to any brown person. Might have done the other way around, but <laughs> anything wrong to him. You know, we've been fighting it, so we know this is just the first step. If they can get this, we're next. Mm -hmm. So even though I didn't have anything in there, she had to double check what their uh, liability was going to be. And mm -hmm. if their liability was in danger, they're going to have to rethink about whether they could even bring these 300 kids that are coming in, mm -hmm. you know, to, to a program. And the law has been blocked for now. There's many layers to this, but one would be, well, later on, is sexual content hands touching? Uh, is it a kiss on the cheek? Is it eyes staring closely? I mean, it's, um, and it's not a pointed, it's not a pointed, uh, um, effort. It is a general effort. Any book we have ever sold, if you're a book vendor, any book you have ever sold has got to be rated. I basically call it a um, a censorship culture now because yes. Yes. It, it covers, like you mentioned, so many different aspects. And in Texas, that's one law. There's another law that covers social justice and curriculum. Yeah. Race yeah. Theory. yeah, they're they're coming at it from many different angles, and and I'm I'm worried. I'm really worried because we're seeing it nationally. They're uh, they're hitting from all sides. Mm -hmm. So this is a dangerous time period because it's also a time period 
which is, I hate to even speak the words, but they call it post-truth, as if truth isn't relevant. Truth is always relevant. And I think as writers, we have a special responsibility to be ethical, to be careful with our words, and to be true. Even if you're writing fiction, you have a responsibility to carrying truth in those words. My hope lies in the next generation. If we can't get the adults to vote, which obviously we're not doing, our adults aren't voting enough, uh, then we've got to start them early and we've got to let kids know that they have a voice and their voice needs to be heard. These are so many of the topics that we've touched on. Of course, we're happy to smuggle books across state lines, but now it's 40 states doing different things. I guess the other thing that I'll add too is that, um, you know, we've talked about voter suppression. We don't want to leave people depressed. So before yeah. we the closing with your with the, with your last excerpt, I do want to remind folks that on, on Nuestra Palabra de Traficantes, what we're doing now is we are doubling down on building family libraries, underground libraries, and public libraries. And what a wonderful way to start or replenish those than gifting a copy of Warrior Girl. And uh, right now, hey, you're tuning into 90.1 FM, KPFT. You can uh, donate to make sure that this station can keep spreading the truth. Uh, You can go to kpft.org or call 713-526-5738 and do a donation in the name of Nostra Palabra. We're going to close now. And... um, of course, Carmen Tafoya, you, uh, you'll be doing many readings, including one at the Latino Bookstore in the Guadalupe Cultural Arts uh, Theater, uh, September 14th for, for children. And you're going to be kind enough to close us out with another excerpt from Warrior Girl. Thank you. This is the last poem in the book, Warrior Girl, which is my 40th book. They don't have the power. Sometimes they try to take everything away from you. Sometimes they actually do. But then you look inside and find something there they can't even see. And they can't even understand. And so they don't have the power to see it, touch it, or take it away. They don't have the power, but you do. You are all that has happened to you and all that you dream to be and all the possibilities, whether reached or not, and all of your story and all of your name and all you have loved and all you choose to celebrate. All of you as warriors for the good. Guerrera, Guerrero, this knowledge, this courage, this all inside you will be your shield will be your power. That is beautiful. Thank you so much. We've been chatting with poet laureate Carmen Tafoya, celebrating her new book, Warrior Girl. Really powerful. What a great way to end that. So thank you so much, Carmen. And I know you're going to be edifying a whole generation of readers and writers. So thank you for all you do. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me on Nuestra Palabra. To everyone, celebrate the refusal to be silenced. So thank you so much. And of course, on behalf of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, I do want to give a shout out to our crew. Thank you to Roxana Guzman, who is our multi-platform producer. Also, thank you, Rodrigo Bravo Jr., who is our sound engineer and mixes our audio brilliantly. I want to thank the entire team. You've got uh, Lupe Mendez, Brian Paras, Laura Costa, Liana Lopez, Mark Anthony Pignon, Mark Sedgwick, and uh, Liz Atencio, uh, Carmen, Carolina de Carmen, and so many others. And additionally, we want to thank KPFT 90.1 FM that broadcasts our show for, for several years now. So if you can, please go to kpft.org or call 713-526-5738. We also want to give a shout out to the Latino Bookstore in San Antonio at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center where uh, Warrior Girl is in stock and there'll be a special event. Uh, and even if you tuned in after uh, some of what we talked about took place, don't feel bad and know that you can go there during work hours and pick up your copy. And we hope that you will support underground libraries, family libraries, and public libraries. So thank you so much. This is Tony Diaz, and we look forward to seeing you behind the book. Gracias. Porque nada de eso te puede elevar